Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm 118. Now, if you open up your Bible towards the middle, you usually get pretty close to Psalm. You may end up in Proverbs. But Psalms is towards the middle of the Bible. Psalm 118. Again, we are so thankful that you are here today. And this is a day that we set aside for to think about our risen Savior that we set aside this Resurrection Sunday. And it is a big deal for us to have a risen Savior. Well, normally when we talk about our risen Savior, we find our way to the New Testament to talk about Jesus Christ and Him raising from the grave. However, the Old Testament also talks about Jesus Christ and His path to Calvary and what God has done and the victory that it holds. And so we find our way to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, and if you don't mind, let's read in book Psalm 118. I'll read out loud. Please follow along in your own copy of the Word of God. And let's see what this wonderful psalm has to say for itself. Psalm 118, starting at verse 1, the Bible says this. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, let his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord help me. The Lord is my strength and song, and is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord had chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become 
my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, sin now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark, mark a verse that we find in the book of Psalm, Psalm 118. Psalm 118, and notice the verse in verse number 24. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And with the Lord's help, we want to speak about this psalm with the idea here that this is the day that the Lord has made. Of course, because of that, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for this wonderful portion of Scripture. And I'm asking that you would help it to come alive. That each of these folks would understand the roadmap to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this shows. That we could be encouraged about what Jesus Christ has done. And that we could celebrate with the Lord Jesus Christ that this is the day that the Lord has made. Because of everything that is done, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you again and we love you. In Jesus name. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your power even now. Amen. Well, this psalm here in Psalm 118 was probably written about the time of Nehemiah chapter number 8, right after the walls of Jerusalem were completed. So after this, there was a lot of celebration, a lot of victory. There was a national rejoicing. And this psalm was probably composed for that occasion of the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt in Nehemiah's time. This is also one of the last songs of what is called the Hallel Psalms, which comes, covers Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. What are Hallel Songs? Hallel Songs are like the Hallelujah Chorus to us. These are the praise songs that were sung by the people of Israel. They would sing these songs during great feast days, like the Passover or New Moons. They would sing these songs from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 in their entirety, as they would sing praises to God for whom He is. But what is really important about this is also who's saying this. That as Jesus Christ had left the upper room as spending time with his disciples, Judas has already betrayed him. He now begins to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. That the Bible gives a record that him and his disciples, they sang hymns as they left that upper chamber. What were the hymns they were singing? Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. They sang these songs. And so I want you to think about the context of this. Jesus Christ has left the upper chamber. He is on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, after singing these songs, within 24 hours, Jesus Christ would have been crucified on the cross and already put in a borrowed tomb within 24 hours. Knowing 
that he was going to face the cross. And remember Jesus Christ is God. And he knew everything he was going to face. All the heartbreaks. All the troubles. All the, the pain that the cross would hold. Yet he sings this song. And part of what he sings in this song. Is that this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now. Use your divine imagination. See Jesus Christ leading the disciples who would know these songs. And as Jesus Christ is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, can you see that perhaps he put a little bit more emphasis on this verse here? Knowing this is the day that the Lord has made. Remember that the Jewish day began at sundown. And it was already sundown. It was in this day period he was going to go to the cross. Not only go to the cross, he was going to be put on an illegal trial. He was going to be tortured, crucified. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be abandoned. All of this was going to happen in within 24 hours. And yet, he was able to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. What's the result of it? Because I know this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Before I go further, have you ever had a bad day? You know, can you imagine, think about one of your worst days. Think about a day that was just awful. Do you think if you knew everything that that day was going to hold, that you could sing that song knowingly? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You understand that Jesus Christ is going to suffer like no other man. And yet he is singing this song with emphasis. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You understand the theme of this year is the joy of the Lord is my strength. In fact, notice another verse that it says here. In Psalm 118, notice verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Jesus Christ, when he is preparing to go to the cross, he's already had one of his disciples betray him. He has 11 more that are going to flee for their own lives in just a few hours. In just a few hours, he's going to be praying with all of his strength. And none of his disciples are praying with him. They're all gone to sleep. And yet, where does he get his strength? Not from the disciples. Where does he get his strength? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Because he knew who God was. Of course, he is God himself. He was putting his hope and faith and trust in God. Because of that, he had strength. You know, this is why we place the emphasis, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Again, imagine if you were able to have foreknowledge that the worst day of your life is in front of you. You knew it was there. How could you face it? How could you face it knowing that your closest associates would abandon you? How could you face it when you go to an illegal trial and people purposely lie against you? How can you face it when you know you're going to be tortured like no one else in history was ever tortured? How can you face it? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The Lord has become my strength. Notice this. 
and my song. We teach here that one of the great evidences that you are trusting in God is can you sing? Can you sing? This is evidence. Again, put this in context. Jesus Christ is going to the cross singing. No wonder the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that for the joy of the cross that looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He was able to face the day that he was going to have with joy rejoicing because the joy of the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. We're going to cover the idea of strength and song and become my salvation later on this year and a special emphasis on music. But you understand there's a specific music that shows when you're trusting in God and looking unto him. There's something that you're trusting too. Now with that as a background in mind that Jesus Christ is singing this song, there's something else ama amazing about this passage is that it is a road map to the cross of Calvary and beyond. The first thing I'd like to show you in this roadmap here is the preparation for the journey. The preparation for the journey. Notice with me in Psalm 18 in verse 1. All right, as it begins, notice this emphasis that is repeated over and over in the first four verses. Give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. God is placing emphasis here that his mercy endureth forever. As Jesus is preparing for the journey, he's looking up to God, that God has mercy and his mercy endureth forever. Give thanks unto the Lord. If you knew that you were going to face the worst day of your life, could you give thanks? You can if you're looking to God and say God is always good and God is always right. Notice with me verse 2. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Not just you, but Israel. Why could Israel sing about this song? Because this is what God promised. God promised that he was going to send a Messiah to pay their price. And God is carrying out his promise. God is always good. And God is always right. Let the house of Aaron, these are the Levites, now say that his mercy endureth forever. Remember the Levites were the priests. They were the ones keeping the tabernacle. They were the ones to teach the scriptures. And because of everything they had, their whole purpose was to point to God. And now it's being fulfilled. His mercy endureth forever. Notice in verse 4. Let now them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. You know, the right kind of praise comes from the heart of an individual who has an appreciation for the Lord. Because we're thankful for who God is and know what, that he's always good and always right, it's much easier to be thankful when you understand that principle that God is always good and God is always right. We see this preparation for the journey that before we even get to the path, it starts with God and praising God. Before you face anything, before you start knowing what the roadmap that you have for your day is, for your life is, God is still good and God is still right. No wonder we could say the joy of the Lord is my strength. No wonder we could say no matter what, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. How can we rejoice? Because God is good and he's always right. For his mercy endureth forever. We now come to a second thing that we see here. The path of the journey. And what is amazing is that this psalm actually 
traces the path that Jesus Christ is going to make. First of all, we see at Gethsemane. We start at Gethsemane. Notice with me in verse number 5. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me on a large place. We now enter into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus Christ. And he is earnestly praying. In fact, he is praying so fervently, so earnestly, that the capillaries that carry the blood burst. And these capillary blood begin to mix with the sweat glands. And as he's praying so fervently and so heatedly, he is literally sweating great drops of blood. Because he's praying. Wouldn't you be praying if you know that you were going to face awful torture? Where are you going to get your strength from? The joy of the Lord is my strength. He calls upon God in distress. And as you read the gospel records, you could see this was an earnest time of distress. You could see Jesus said, Lord, let, if it be your will, take this cup from me. And again, humanistically speaking, no one would want to face what he was going to face. But then he said, I could trust you, God. I could surrender to you, not my will, but thine. Because you're good and you're right. But there was a time that he prayed upon God and he was able to trust in God. Not in himself, but trusting God. Notice with me verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Jesus Christ, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, God is on my side. You know, God plus one is a majority. Of course, God plus Christ is everything. You know, when you know that you're on the Lord's side, you can face anything. Whether it's someone who's disgruntled at you, someone who's bitter, or someone who's not right with God. If you know that God is on your side, you will have the courage to face those things. Jesus Christ got that as he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying, and understanding that as he spent that great time in prayer, I know God's on my side, I could face anyone. And he was going to face everyone here in just a bit. How can he do that? Because God was with him. And if God is with me, what can people do to me? Notice in verse 7. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. As Jesus Christ is praying, he knows that he's going to be arrested. But what was Christ's desire? He was there to seek and to save that which was lost. Those same people who are putting him up on the cross in a few short hours, he died for them that they could receive it. The Bible says that he's not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. That Jesus Christ says, I'm dying for them. They may not realize it, but I'm dying for them. And God's going to give me my desire. I'll see my desire upon them that hate me. All those people in the illegal trial. All those people who put him up on the cross. Of course, we saw many of them saved in the book of Acts chapter number 2. As Peter says, you put him on the cross. And yet 3,000 people accepted Christ as Savior that day. Oh, aren't you glad that that was fulfilled? But this happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course, immediately afterwards, when he's done praying, he kicks the disciples one last time. Remember, they kept going to sleep. And then he says, don't worry about it, boys. You could rest now because here they are. What an amazing thing that actually on the Mount Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane where they are praying from. That as Jesus is praying, he could actually watch. There is a valley in between the garden where he's praying and Jerusalem. And as Jesus is there in the garden, he could actually watch in the middle of the night these pitchforks or these, these torches all going in a serpentine line heading towards him. 
Could you imagine praying and actually watching them coming to arrest you? They, of course, come and arrest him. One of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot, betrays him with a kiss. And the most heartbreaking thing about that scenario is that when Judas kissed Jesus, his lips actually touched the blood of Christ that had been uh, mixed with sweat. And that same blood that his lips touched could have forgiven him of all of his sins, but he rejected it. He could have been saved. And he was right there. He actually touched the blood of Jesus with that kiss. After Gethsemane, of course, he has now mar marched to Gabbatha. Gabbatha was the place of the pavement. It was where the judgment seat was planted. Jesus Christ is going to be placed in a legal trial. Notice as we read this on, verse number 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than put confidence in, in princes. You understand the Pharisees could not be trusted. There was nothing in him that even remotely thought, well, maybe the Pharisees, they'll change their mind and, and maybe they won't go through with this. Maybe Pilate. I know I could trust Pilate. I'll, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He'll let me go. Maybe Herod. I know that old fox. He put to death John the Baptist, but maybe he'll change his mind with me. You understand Jesus couldn't put his trust in people. He could not trust the government. He couldn't trust the princes. He could not trust any of them for deliverance. But he could trust in God. And he's saying it's better to trust in God than in people. It's better to trust in God than the princes and the government. You understand that's something that we need to learn ourselves here. We need, it's better to trust in God than even government. Our hope is in the Lord. And Jesus Christ, of course, is placed in this illegal trial. And we've spoken about the illegal trial before. That it was met in the early morning. It only invited those people who were going to hate Jesus. So people like Nicodemus was not invited. Other people who would defend Jesus was not invited. So they brought it early in the morning. They rushed judgment. They brought in people who lied against Jesus. And finally, they just tried to get Jesus to finally claim to be God. When Jesus claimed to be God, they said, that's it. It's all we need. And then when they brought him to Pilate, they changed what he was guilty of. Instead of saying, well, he claimed to be God, the Romans would have laughed and said that wouldn't have been a big deal to them. But they said he's, he's guilty of sedition. We caught him planning to overthrow and overturn the Roman government. Well, the Roman government, of course, would not like that. And so they brought him up in illegal charges. They changed what he was found guilty of. They brought him before Pilate. They brought him before Herod. Of course, Pilate examined him and said, I don't find anything wrong with him. There's, there's nothing in him. Pilate's wife had a dream and said, listen, I had a dream about him being innocent. And yet Pilate listened to the people, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And we could see even at this judgment seat, he had no hope in people. But God had a plan and it was still to go to the cross of Calvary. And yet it is speaking about this. Of course, Pilate tried to do what he could. One of the reasons when <coughs> he, <laughs> excuse me, one of the reasons why Jesus Christ was beaten so badly was to keep him from going to the cross. Pilate understood that the people were bloodthirsty, so he figured the way to save Jesus' life was to actually cause him to bleed. And so they did something called scourging. And what they did is they took a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine lashes on it. And at the end of the, uh, 
whip lashes, there would be rocks or glass or hooks of some sort. And they were made so that way when you would take the cat of nine tails and whip it across the back, the first century story historian Josephus said that after one lashing, it would take a uh, hook into the body and rip the flesh. That after one lashing, you could actually touch your finger and actually touch the bone of the victim. They took Jesus Christ and they beat him. And they beat him until his back was in shreds. It looked like hamburger meat. It was so abused and beat up. Blood was pouring out. Then what they did is they put a robe over him. And that robe began to suck up that blood. And began to coagulate just a bit. Then Pilate took Jesus before the crowd with the hope, the sincere desire that the crowd would see the blood and see him mangled and they would go, you know what, that's enough. He's been abused enough. But he didn't plan on the, the Pharisees who mixed in the crowd, who pumped up the crowd and turned him to a riotous mob. Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Of course, now they took Jesus Christ back and they pulled off that robe that had just begun to soak up the blood and reopen those wounds afresh. They dared to put Jesus through like a gauntlet. And as they walked through, they put a, a covering over his face and they took their fist and they buffeted him on the face and beat him and then dared said, who hit you? Tell us who hit you. His face was so swollen that the Bible says that you couldn't even tell that he was a man anymore. They made fun of him. They took a crown of thorns, not small little splinter thorns, but huge thorns. And they made a crown of it and beat it upon his head. All this was even before he went to the cross. At this time, he's losing quite a bit of blood. Earlier, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, those sweating those great drops of blood would have an effect of making his flesh, his skin, like paper thin. Sometimes you'll see that in older people. Their thin is just so easy. Even a piece of tape can rip their skin. After that, they beat him. He's starting to lose a lot of blood. He doesn't get a break to get water or to get food. He's losing blood at a tremendous amount. But after this, Psalm 118 leads us not only from Gethsemane, it leads it to Gabbatha, and it finally brings us to Golgotha. Notice with me in verse number 10. All nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about, yea, they compass me about, but the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed about me like bees. They are quenched like fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou wast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord help me. Here Jesus Christ was placed on the cross. And at this time, he's surrounded by his enemies. His disciples have fled. He's just surrounded by people who hate him. They put him up on the cross. Now back in the ancient world, the wrist was considered part of the hand. And as they nailed him up on the cross, inside of your wrist is the median nerve that runs from here, runs across your elbow. When you hit that nerve just right, it gives a good tingle. Sometimes we'll say it hits your funny bone, but there's nothing funny about it. They took a big spike and they nailed it through his wrist. And as it would hit that median nerve, it would feel like someone took a piece of pliers on electrical wire and twist it. The electricity would be shooting through your entire body, your hand. It'd be such an awful, painful experience. And then they put him up on the cross. 
As he's looking upon the cross, he's watching all of these people that hate him. He's watching the Roman soldiers gamble for his clothes. He's looking at people that are making fun of him. Oh, he's thirsty. Let's give him some vinegar. Even the two thieves on either side of him, the Bible said, railed on him and made fun of him. And the worst experience of Jesus' life, he's surrounded by enemies. All of them bloodthirsty, wanted to see him die. He stays on the cross. Now when someone would die on the cross, normally it would take three days for someone to die on the cross. And that's because they died of asphyxia. What would happen when someone would be on the cross? Their body would be caved over. Their chest would be turned over. And they couldn't get a deep breath. Eventually, instead of getting the uh, carbon dioxide out, it would stay in the lungs. And you would slowly start to suffocate to death. In order to take a breath with someone on the cross, they would have to lift up using those wrists and lift up. And take a breath and then it would sag back down. Every time you did that, that spike around your wrist would grind upon the bones. And twist that nerve even more. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the cross wasn't nice sanded wood. But almost looked like a railroad tie with big thick splinters. Every time he would take a breath, those splinters would drive deeper into his back. His exposed back that had been beaten by those By the scourging. It was an awful experience. At this time medically speaking. He's starting to go through what is called. Hypovolemic shock. The word hypo means low. Volemic carries the idea of volume. The volume of water fluid blood inside of his body. Is starting to get low. What happens because the body is bleeding so much. The heart begins to pump even more to try to get blood to the vital organs to the rest of the body and it would just bleed out the heart would then pump even harder trying to get more blood to pop up but the more that it pumps the more blood that comes out around your heart is something called the periocardial sac and this sac is made of smooth tissue that is made to ease the friction of a heart And what it would do is that it would fill up with water just a bit to kind of add more friction to to ease it. But instead, because it's filling up with water, it's actually squeezing on the heart even more. The heart's still trying to pump more, but now it has an outside source squeezing on it. Until finally, Jesus died of what is called a periocardial infusion. Medically speaking, Jesus died of a broken heart. He died. On the cross. Bleeding for us until his heart stopped. And couldn't pump anymore. He shed all of his blood. For your sins and for mine. They put him on a borrowed tomb. But the good news. Is three days later. He rose again. As we go to this roadmap, We started at Gethsemane. We went to Gabbatha. We went to Golgotha. Now we go to glory. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Let me tell you, on the third day, Jesus rose again. Verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteousness. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. 
I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. You understand the great thing about this story? Why we can rejoice in the death of Jesus Christ is because he did not stay dead. On three days, Jesus Christ arose again. And when he arose again, it proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was indeed God. The second thing that it proved is that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. It was enough. Jesus satisfied the terms. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God allowed Jesus to die on the cross. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your price and pay for mine. The price that we owed God because of sin. And Jesus paid the price in full and God was satisfied with that payment. All that is left is for us to accept that free gift of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to pay the debt of sin anymore. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is a gift of God. God has given us this gift. Jesus paid the price. All we have to do is accept it. And it is because of the risen Savior. We can rejoice. We don't have to die and go to an awful place called hell. We can be with God forever. In fact, we can have fellowship with God right now. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. No wonder it says a lot about rejoicing. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle. The Lord is my strength and my song. And has become my salvation. Where do we as Christians get our strength? That Jesus died for us. And that he rose again. That where do we get our song? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. No matter what men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear the voice of cheer. And just the time I need him. He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me. Along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me. How I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You understand we have a reason to rejoice. Because we have a risen savior. We can celebrate. Jesus did not stay dead. And even this psalm speaks about this. Now what's left. We could see. That we had the preparation from the journey. Then we marked the path of the journey. As we went to the garden of Gethsemane. We went to uh, Gabbatha. We went to Golgotha. And then we could see in glory as Jesus Christ rose again. As we finish up this psalm. We see this. The praise of the journey. The praise of the journey. Let me tell you the Lord is my strength and my song. And has become my salvation. Notice with me in verse number 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go to them. I will praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord into the righteousness will enter. This is a simple prayer that Jesus was heard and has given to them salvation. Verse 21. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Because of Jesus Christ, we could go to the gates of glory. We could go to the gates of God. Jesus has did the price. 
And because of that, we have salvation. Notice in verse 22, the stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. A cornerstone is a stone that would be placed, usually at the very corner, that would make sure that the, the uh, building would be in a right angle. The stone would be directly at 90 degrees. That would make way, you would make sure the, the building is straight. You don't want to live in a building that kind of angles kind of differently and awkwardly that make the rooms look kind of weird. And Jesus Christ is the one that all of our faith is built up. He makes all the ways straight. In fact, there are six references to this verse in the New Testament. Three of them were given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is such an important verse here. That it is Jesus Christ become our chief cornerstone. He was the stone that the builders rejected. But guess what? This was the Lord's doing. God did this. God was good. God was right. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Was God right to allow Jesus to die on the cross? He was. And because he was right to allow that, we can rejoice. Notice as it goes on, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Notice this is attached to this idea here. That is the stone which the builders rejected. God was good to allow Jesus to die on the cross. And because of that, we can rejoice in that day. We can be glad of it. Verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Sin now, prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Notice verse 27. God is the Lord, which hath showed us the light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. Again, this is now making reference as it's being sung, that they would sing this collection of songs at the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this Feast of Tabernacles, there would be a profession of people that would go around the great altar of burnt offering on the outer court. Once a day, for six days, they would cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna! And on the seventh day, they marched around the altar seven times, still shouting Hosanna the whole time. As because of this, because of what Jesus Christ has done. They're looking forward to God completing this around the burnt offering. Jesus was the offering for us. This is the day that the Lord has made. We could rejoice in it. That God has provided the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That God had provided this. Now this practice also looked forward to the prophetic of Christ's millennial reign. It spoke about this. That Christ is going to rebuild the temple as stated in the book of Ezekiel. And he's going to lead a redeemed people of the world in a great celebration in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Celebrating that this burnt offering died for our behalf. And that we could have forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus Christ was done. And then all the peoples, even Israel, will praise and sing to Jesus Christ in that day, in that future event. Oh, what a wonderful thing that we could celebrate here. Let's finish it up. Verse 28. Thou art my God and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Notice that the first verse matches the second verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. 
What a wonderful psalm that gives us the background here. That gives us the idea that we can rejoice in this day. The, the day that the Lord has made. We could rejoice and be glad in it. Praise the Lord for it. And so how do we apply this? So what? Well, first of all, if you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me give you some rejoicing news. You could be forgiven of all of your sins. Every single one of them. They could be washed away full, free, and forever if you would just trust in Jesus Christ. If you have never came to the place where you went to God and recognized that you were a sinner and because of your sin you owed God a great price, but you came to Him and said, Jesus paid my way, and the best you knew how, you accepted that gift by calling upon Him. Let me tell you, do that today. Accept that free gift of salvation. Have your sins forgiven have a reason to rejoice. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And in the invitation, I want to invite you to come. That if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, I would love to take a Bible and show you from God's Word how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. It'd be my great privilege. It'd be my great honor for that to happen today, to answer all of your questions so you can know without a doubt that you have this free gift of salvation. For those of you who do know Jesus Christ as your salvation, uh, you know him as your savior. What do you do with this psalm? Well, the Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. For us, we have the lesson that Jesus, as he was approaching the worst day of his life, was still able to sing. As Jesus is approaching the worst day of his life, he's still able to say, God is still good. And God is still right. That when he's facing the worst thing ever to happen in all of history, he's able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Dear Christian, let me tell you, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. There may be some things that come in your day that you didn't choose. For example, none of us wake up and say, you know what I need today? I need a flat tire! Well, if you didn't ask for it, how come it happens? Well, God allows those things to happen. God chooses some things for you in your life. Can you trust him? God knows what he's doing. You say, but you don't understand how horrible it is. I may not know how horrible it is, but I do understand how horrible it was for Jesus Christ. And he was still able to look to God and say, God, I may not know the why, but I know the who. You're still good and you're still right. I can trust you. I get my strength from you. You say, how do I go on after the worst day of my life? By looking to him saying, God's still good. And God's still right. The only way you can have strength on certain days. By the way, if Jesus needed God's strength, don't you think you need God's strength certain days? There's no such thing as picking yourself by the bootstraps. Come on, just tough it out. There are some days you cannot tough it out. But there are some days you look to the Lord and say, God, I need your help. And he will help you. He has become my strength and my song and has become my salvation. I'm telling you that the human experience, every single one of you are going to have bad days. And believe it or not, some of you are going to have worse days. But God is still good. And God is still right. How do you get through those times? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Understanding this is the day that the Lord has made. 
I will rejoice and be glad in it. Remember the principle of treasures in darkness. The treasures in darkness principle is that sometimes the worst things that ever happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us if it brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you trust him? You say, preacher, I think I'm trusting him, but how can I know? Can you sing? Can you sing? Can you sing praises to him? The Lord has become my strength and my song has become my salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.